This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to our monthly book chat. I'm Cheryl Arkell. And I'm Caroline Overington. And I love nothing more than having a chat about books. And so does Cheryl. So we thought we would share that conversation with you. Once a month, we'll discuss book and industry news, authors, and the books you should be reading. And maybe just a little bit of gossip. Caroline Overington, we're back. Hello. <laughs> Are you comfy? Are I was just adjusting myself You're adjusting? in my chair. Um, Carolyn's in our office. We're doing this live. I do much prefer live via Zoom. I know it has to be done, but I do like to feel and see the person. I like to see you. <laughs> Not everybody. I try Some not to people feel are better up. by Zoom, but I like to see you. All right, what's happening? What's happening? Miles Franklin. Yes, long list announced yesterday. Look, the Miles Franklin is interesting, isn't it? Because for a long time, it was Australia's most prestigious literary award. And there was no other. There, well, there were others, but this was the one you really wanted to win. And, you know, named after Stella Miles Franklin from My, My Brilliant Career. The problem is, I think, that the energy has gone out of the prize because of the rise of the stellar. Mm. So some of your listeners, most of your listeners will know that about 10 years ago, a group of very feisty women got very annoyed that there was not a single female writer on the shortlist for the Miles Franklin. And they thought, well, rather than just complain about it, we're going to do something about it. And they started the Stella Prize and it's just taken off. If you win the Stella Prize, you're guaranteed to be invited to all the literary mm. festivals. You'll Changes get lots of coverage. Career. Oh, totally. Um, booksellers know to look for mm. it. They put a big sticker on there. The Miles Franklin, my understanding is they do have money for the prize, but they don't have a lot of money for promotion and all the other things Mm. that go around it. Because it's a lot. Exactly. And also the Stella Prize is not just for fiction. So you're getting really interesting books being nominated, whereas the Miles Franklin, I think it still is the one to win for literary fiction. Mm -hmm. And the long list does uh, reflect that. I had a look yesterday, some of the books on there that I really enjoyed. I haven't read them all, but the ones that I really enjoyed was Robbie Arnott's Limber mm-hmm. Lost. He's a Tasmanian writer. I don't know if you've met him, Cheryl, but he's got the most divine curls. Mm. <laughs> I haven't met him, but everywhere I go, people are talking about yeah, him. Yeah, because he's really industrious mm. as well. He's produced a number of books the last couple of years. I think this won the Age Book of the Year already, mm. Limber Lost, so, and it's been on all the shortlists. I met him because he was shortlisted for the Miles Franklin, I think, two years ago, and I couldn't get over how boyish and charming mm. and all those those gorgeous dark curls mm. he's got. Mm. And Tasmania is producing so many fantastic writers at the moment. He's part of a real culture down mm. there. They're, they're all very supportive of each other. Heather Rose with, uh, you know, Nothing Bad Ever Happens mm. Here is down Richard there Richard Flanagan's well. down yes, there. Yes, Richard yeah. Flanagan is down there. So... It was an interesting list. I saw Robbie on it. I also quite liked Iris. I read Iris, which was set in 1920s Sydney. Fiona McGregor, is that her mm-hmm, name? Yes, mm-hmm. from Fiona McGregor. So I was really interested in that one as well. I'll be inter- interested to see who makes the shortlist. What about you? What did you like? Well, I, I haven't really had a look at it, but I just remembered coming over here today that many years ago, Kate Blanchett hosted the Miles Franklin Award. I didn't know that. And she just had a baby. She had a newborn. And she gave up her time 
and she came for a few hours and then she had to go home and breastfeed her baby. I didn't know that. Isn't <laughs> and that it interesting? it was a really lovely time. But that was back in the day where it was really huge. It was really huge. Yeah. I wonder what they're going to do because you can't let a prize of that calibre. I mean, think about who's won mm. it. You know, Tim Winton, among mm. others. Mm. But think about who's won <gasps> can, it. Can we segue to Tim Winton? Yeah, we can segue to whatever you like. Yeah, yeah. Have you been talking to him? I've been talking to him. I saw my friend Julia Baird has been talking to him. Oh, he's, just... he's passionate about this cause, isn't oh, he? Oh, my God. So we got a podcast live, like so it was he and I, and we got him on video. But do you know, he is just, he's a gentle, gentle soul. And that's how he writes, as a gentle soul. Yeah. Don't you think? And even that documentary on Ningaloo is a gentle soul kind of storytelling. Yes, he's like the old man. Yeah. <laughs> the old man in the sea, except he is the sea as well. Yeah, he is the sea. <laughs> he's a big gentle giant. It was interesting actually because I, I had a look at the documentary a few weeks ago when it was going around, you know, journalists were getting a look at it so we could sort of see that it was upcoming. And I noticed that in some of the early footage from 20 years ago when he's protesting about no mining being allowed at Ningaloo, Reef, which is a beautiful part of the world, he was still a relatively young man with a with a ponytail, and all those guys he was protesting with have now gone on to corporate careers and they've had their hair cut. Yeah. But he's remained the same. And he's, he's authentic. He yeah, and he said to me, "I'm like an ancient landmass, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, 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 you know, we remain unchanging, like like the great outback, the great Australian desert, our great landmarks. I have to just remain as I am." <laughs> Do you know? Um, a couple of years ago, I think it was the Shepherd's Hut. I was reading it, and I just thought every sentence is magic. And for some reason, I was writing the sentences down and sending them to my friend um, in the US, Bernard, because I know he's he's a, a great reader. And then I realised that I was transcribing the book because every <laughs> sentence that he writes is so beautiful and so considered. And I always thought that it just came out of him like that. But no, he said he labours. You know, he, he can be stuck on a sentence for days and days. He works hard. Yeah. Somebody once said about writing that it should be like a very clear window pane. So the words, you shouldn't really even see them on the page. You shouldn't notice them. You should just be able to look right through it and exactly see the scene. Mm. And I think that that's what he achieves better than anyone else in Australia. He's a beautiful, beautiful writer. Also a very kind, very nice, very down-to-earth mm. person. When we did an interview with him about Ningaloo, I talked to him about some of the controversies in, in Australian literature at the moment, in particular this idea that people are being cancelled. Mm. And some of his books contain some quite violent scenes and also scenes of sexual assault and trauma. And I said to him, "Would well, how would you feel if somebody went back in 20 years' time and took out some of these quite pivotal scenes in some of your books? And he said to me something that really rang true. He said, you know, if we, if we had time and we had the ability, all of us could go back and change so many things in our life and do them better and, and we don't have that option. We, mm. we are all prisoners of our experience mm. and our wisdom and our ability at any given moment and we just do the best we can. Mm. And maybe later on people will look at it and think, oh, we'll have to do that differently and, and they'll do it differently. Mm. But you can't go back and edit it all again. I thought that was very wise. Yeah, and I agree with that too. One of my favourite pieces that he wrote, well, my favourite Tim Winton is the writers for sure, but I read a short story. It was in one of the magazines a couple of years ago and it was... 
a non-fiction short story. It was about he taking his mother into the ocean for a swim. Did you read that? I did. And she had, they had to cry. do it on the seat. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. so that she can feel the water. I love that story so much. I often go back to it. He's a fabulous family mm. man as well, isn't mm. he? And he's he's unapologetically Australian. A lot of his books just mm. um, they ring true of the mm. of the upbringing that we or many mm. of us had. Mm. And when you see the man, he is the story. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's extraordinary. He's, the, he's sand coloured. <laughs> yeah, don't you think? Yeah, he's got really that is. ocean rug, ruggedness. Yeah, he you know? really is. He's yeah, un, yeah. unpretentious and unspoilt. You know, part of me was a little bit anxious about interviewing him because you know he has this reputation for being a bit of a recluse, mm. but I, he could not have been uh, oh. more gentle and more warm. Mm. It was my second time with him and I, you know, just really generous, I thought, absolutely. Now, listen, did you go to Brisbane? We've had the Brisbane Writers' Festival. I didn't go to Brisbane and I'm not really going to Sydney. I'm going to a couple of events during mm-hmm. Sydney. Uh, I'm going to the Arbias, mm-hmm. so <laughs> which, we. which yeah. we've talked about before. That's the Australian Book Industry Association Awards. It's being held during the Sydney Writers Festival, mm-hmm. although I don't think it's an officially event, is it? And I'm going to a dinner with Simon and Schuster, who are some of the nicest people. Oh, in... no, I am too. Are you going to that I'm dinner? Going to oh, that nice. dinner. Is that on the Saturday night? Yes, yeah, so okay. I'm going to the dinner and I'm going to be hosting the red carpet. At the Arby's. At the Arby's. That'll be Whoa. divine. Is it because it's gone back to black tie, hasn't yes. it? Yes. I think I'm a little, I'm not hugely impressed by the Sydney Writers' Festival this year. I didn't think that there were that many events that were um, absolute standouts for me. A lot of the topics I'd kind of heard before. And we have had the problem this year, of course, that all the festivals have been clustered together. So Mm. Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Bendigo Mm. and others all in the same month, which has meant everybody's a bit crammed for time. Was there anything that jumped out at you? No, and I usually, I mean, I'm I'm hopeless with um, scheduling something like that. And so I'm usually dragged there by Nikki Krista. You know, Nikki Krista from Penguin Random House. She usually drags me to the festival and uh, she gives me a lanyard and we just walk into everything and we see great things. So it's prompt you, show up for a couple of days, which I'll probably do this year. But one year, somebody in the door at the door didn't let her in or didn't let me in because I didn't have anything. So she calls over Mark Scott, who was the chairman at the time, and she said, Mark, give your lanyard to Cheryl. So he did. (laughs) And then I was Mark Scott all day and I was allowed to go to anything. Yeah. It's interesting, (laughs) isn't it? I haven't heard, like, I haven't heard people say, oh, I can't wait to see this or I can't wait to see that, which is... Um, a bit disappointing because, you know, you and I both live in Sydney and it is one of the premier literary festivals on mm. the, well, for a long time it was mm. on the international calendar. You know, writers came from all over the world to attend. Mm. It was out there on the docks. You could sit outside on a, on a beautiful mm. day. The boats bobbed on the water there. You could have a glass of wine or a glass of champagne if that's your thing. Even if you couldn't get into the event and you really couldn't because mm. it was jammed, then you could hear the writers talking over the loudspeakers if you, and they were competing with the seagulls. Mm. It was a really beautiful event. I think Melbourne's had a bit of trouble too, not really being able... And it might be just a post-COVID thing. Maybe it will come good. But I... And sometimes there's not the books for it or sometimes you can't get people to leave their comfort of being, you know, in in the USA or being in the UK mm. and they won't come out for it because mm. I, I think they try really hard to get international people. Um, but it's not easy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It is, and, and, one of the, and I think some of the smaller literary festivals are giving them a run for their money. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Corrie Perkin, who runs the Sorrento Writers' Festival for the first time this year, had an She's ama- amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. So she left journalism to open a bookshop. Yeah. She got smashed by COVID, um, as so Dreadful. many small people yeah. trying to run a little bookshop in a, yeah. in a town and make a vibrant community did. She's out at Sorrento, which is a beautiful part of the world. I was actually married in Sorrento, so I have a very soft Aww. spot for the little white church up there. She had a festival a couple of weeks ago and it was a smash hit. And this weekend I'm actually going to the Addy Road Festival. Now this is one of those things that I just love. I've never even heard of it. Because it's the first one and it's just local people who got together and decided they would organise a literary festival. Everything's held in the one location at the community hall. Starts at 11, finishes at 6. One event after another in Addison Road. So it's in Sydney. In Marrickville. Yeah, in Marrickville. Oh gosh, I used to live on Addison Road in Did you? Well, the organizer is Mark Mordew, who you might know. He wrote a book about the young, the young Nick Cave. He walks at the park. Does he? Okay, yes. so he just decided with some fellow travellers that wouldn't it be great to have a literary festival? And the one event I'm really looking forward to is Edwina Preston, who wrote Bad Art Mother, set in 1960s Melbourne at around the time of John and Sunday Reed. You know that bohemian yes, yes, Melbourne culture yes. that was going on. And the question she asks in the book is, men are able to be fathers and artists and they're able to be quite badly behaved but when a woman has creative ambition or literary ambition or artistic ambition and children she's often made to feel guilty for wanting those two parts of her life that's like a mind reader I had the Penguin Random House Publishers for lunch yesterday and we were talking about that the relationship between kids and single parents so if you're reading a story about a child with their single you know, their father and there's no mother around, it usually is the experience for that child of being like adventurous, it being creative, going on a trip or going on a journey. And, yeah, Superman you know, dad. Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. Or but fun even, dad, Disneyland dad. Or, dad, yeah. or, you know, my dad did so many beautiful things. But when you get a story as, about a single mother who's raising her child. It's grit, it's poverty. Grit, hardship, <laughs> discipline, you yeah. know. That those actually, stereotypes speaking, exist in, in those stereotypes in, yeah. do exist. And speaking of um, daughters and fathers, I actually have just extracted from a book by Upswell, very small publisher yeah. Upswell, have published a book called "I Had a Father in Karatha." Now, Karatha is a very small town in West Australia. I've real, been there. Real red dirt. Yes, absolutely. Is that where the red dog is? Yes. Yes. And yeah. she, so her father died in Karatha, and he was a hoarder. Yeah. And she and her siblings had to go out there and clean up the house. And, of course, one of the mysteries, well, which they loved him, but he was a runaway dad. You know, he hadn't yeah. had that much to do with them growing up. You know, mum had to carry the can, the normal story. But one of the mysteries of the book was some of the kids thought they'd seen a gold bullion. 
somewhere in his possession and was it hidden in this hoarder's house? But when they arrived there, what they found was all these outstanding bills and debts and... Mm. But it's the most not mov- usually pretty. Right. Yeah. And the most moving part of the book, I thought, was after they saw him off, they went to the rec club in Caratha and there was his stool where he went every day at five o'clock to watch Wheel of Fortune and work on the cryptic crossword and they kept it empty and they raised oh. a, a glass to him. And I just thought that was such a an incredibly Australian and very Mm. beautiful scene. Mm. Yeah, no, that's lovely. Speaking of rural areas, we, Jane and I, went to Tamworth. And you were a smash hit, I believe. (laughs) It was so cute. It was called When Love Comes to Town. And we had this wonderful venue and the authors were Stella Quinn, Rachel Johns and Penelope Janu. And they had a full house. There was a a lot of people there wanting to hear these three authors talk. But there was a guy there called Len Clump. Len Clump. Yep. And he is a rural romance or commercial fiction reader. He's a big fan of all three authors. He showed up. He's known to Harlequin. He often writes to them or will write a review. And he had read all three books and there he was in the audience. He knew better reading. I said, how did you know about, you know, this event? He said, through our our Facebook page. And he was so engaged. And, you know, because I think often if men are reading rural romance or commercial fiction, they're not going to admit it. Well, what would the, and num- he what would the numbers... It. it was a badge, tall and proud he yeah. was. Yeah. Well, I wonder what the numbers on that would be. It would be 90% yeah. female readership, yeah. wouldn't it? Oh, maybe, easily. Maybe even higher. Easily. Which is, and which there is was a, Len. Which is interesting <laughs> because the books are great. I mean, yes. Rachel John's work I know really well. Yeah. And I did have the opportunity... I love her. Go, oh, she's an amazing mm. woman. And I went to a writer's festival with her once and it was just so much fun. She's mm. so lively and effervescent and mm. interesting and fun. But her books are great. They're really good. And I know that she fights really hard against this stereotype that if it's romance, it's no good. Mm. That's so not true, Mm. right? Romance books are fantastic, and particularly the ones that are done really well. I mean, like everything, it's patchy. But I even think with that genre, it's not just romance. It's community connection. It's a story Mm. in a community. And I often wonder why it's so popular because, you know, they are very popular books. She sells, you know, thousands, as you know. And I think it's because we're all living alone or we're all living separately and then we read these books and we aspire to have that connection not just the romance the connection the friendship between women because I often do that really well or the relationship between mother and daughter or the relationship between you know cousins and I feel as though those writers get all of that right they do but also the sex yes and also the sex (laughs) yeah of course They get of the course. sex right and they get the kind of build-up to yeah. the sex right, you yeah. know, that sort of sense of anticipation and excitement that yeah. they do so well. Anyway, so, yeah, it was a really great night. We got the train, five and a half hours, but anyway. Is now, it a good train? Like, is it a comfortable train, nice yeah, journey? Yeah, well, again, community. So our m- both our phones, mine and Jane, were running low on battery. I mean, and we couldn't find a charger. And this woman heard us talking, just this woman sitting behind us who was going to Tamworth to celebrate her 60th with her children and grandchildren. And she had an adapter that she had bought, some kind of charger, and she handed it over. Now, I said, I can't take that because you might need it for 
your phone. Oh, no, I won't. And up she went. And she said, sometimes there's there's a PowerPoint near the guards thing. And we're like, oh, okay. She gets out a full-on adapter, like, you know, the ones that have five <laughs> or six plug-in things, collects everybody's phone in the carriage, <laughs> goes and plugs it in, and we all get off the train with a charge phone. She was so fantastic. And here we are, we're all on the platform wishing her a happy birthday, giving her a oh, hug. Oh, no, happy birthday to the plug lady. <laughs> that's right. That's so and I thought that's what you capture in these books as yeah. well. Because yeah. you're on a city train, no one talks to you. Well, they're all buried in their phone and their that's earpods, right. aren't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, that was great fun. I'm also going to I'm going to a festival called Words on the Waves. Oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. June, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so the first weekend in June. And I'm on a panel with Pip Williams. Who you love. Who and I whose love. books are amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Todd Alexander, who is happens yeah. to be a really good friend of mine. How funny. How funny is that? What about Pip? I mean, how It's number one, isn't it? It yeah. is number one, yeah. But also everybody that's read it has said that it is, if not better than the first, equally as good isn't as the first. Isn't that great? How often does that happen? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't happen often enough. I think the only time I can remember it was. Do you remember was the kite runner, and then yes. he had a follow up. What was yes. the follow up called? Shimmering skies, something. something or someone will know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they were both equally good. And again, the second book syndrome is something everybody in the book world talks about. Somebody has a smash hit, and then can they follow it up with the second? You know who else I think did it was Trent Dalton. I think yes. both of his books were yes. just brilliant. And yeah, people yeah. sometimes people love the second one more than they love the first one, which is mm. a great sign that yeah. you've got a career. Yeah. Yeah, and she's she's wonderful. She's so great. And I heard her podcast it. with you and yeah. the warmth that comes out of she's that woman. She's so lovely. Yeah. Um, listen, now tell me, did you are you able to talk about what's coming up for you in the project you were telling me about earlier? We <laughs> can we talk about no. that? Well, I guess I can. So uh, you probably know that I write um, books for Audible, yeah. um, audio books, and uh, HarperCollins has turned one of them into a print book. Some people just prefer the old-fashioned print book and Absolutely. that's fine. Absolutely. And now they've just agreed to take another one, which is really exciting. So the one that I, the, the the book that I just had published with Audible, which is only available on Audible, is called Looking for Eden, and it's a mystery and a thriller, I guess. And it will now be available as a print book next year. So this is really exciting for me because it gets a second life in a way. Mm. Some people like to listen to audiobooks as they go about their business while they're vacuuming the house, while Love they're driving them. in the car, yeah. while they're on public transport. Other people like to curl up. Yeah. with an actual book in their hands. So yeah. for me, it's an exciting development. Now, what I want to ask you is how different is the writing? Like for you, how, how you know, talk to me about the difference between the two in terms of craft. Okay, so when you're writing a book for the written page, you might do something like, there was a body lying on the road, it was wearing a yellow jacket, there was a pool of blood, that kind of thing, right? But when you're writing for audio, you might, you have to do more about the narrative. So you'll go like... Wait, what is that? Oh my God, I think they're dead. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah, more yeah, like, yeah. More like a, a radio example. play. So yeah. yeah, it kind of works like that, which takes a while because if you're used to doing descriptions of that scene, then to know that you can you can just do it with voice alone is really interesting. One of the most important parts of the audio book, particularly for the listener, 
is the narrators. Yes. And I've been blessed with amazing narrators, audible um, auditions people, and then they win the, the job, as it were, and they come in and they record the book for you. And I have been blown away by yeah. the standard. It's yeah, just yeah. been incredible. So is it then when you are converting it to print, if you like, are you rewriting the whole thing? There has to be a little bit done. Just to, yes. you know, There's always just little tweaks. But I think it's largely the same. There's, oh, wow. There might be little tiny things that you have to fix and up. And how many thousand words would it be? This one I think is 55,000, so oh, it's right. a bit shorter than a yeah. normal novel. A normal novel is about 80,000 words. Yeah. Um, but audiobooks are a bit shorter because they like to keep them to around five hours, four to five hours. Right. And the reason they do that is because people listen to about an hour a day and then they like to be finished by the week and start the fresh week with a fresh yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. Extraordinary. Okay, well, um, we'll look forward to that. That's out next year. We've got to go. They're hurrying us up out there. Um, Caroline. So good to talk to you again. I'll see you on the red carpet. We will. (laughs) Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.